Hey everybody, we just wanted to let you know that we had a bit of an audio glitch when recording the sermon. However, because we believe the content is valuable, and also because the sermon is a part of our What We Believe series, we decided to go ahead and make it available for you. You might have to turn down the bass and turn up the volume a little, but we hope that you will find both instruction and encouragement from this content. The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Our hope today is to come to the scriptures and receive the truth about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot of debate and division among God's people over the Holy Spirit, which is really tragically ironic because one of his main objective, objectives is to weave us together in increasing love and unity. And so the Holy, one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs, one of the things he's endeavoring to do is to draw us closer together, uh, make us more cohesive so that we're more effective on the mission that God has given us. And yet oftentimes, his person and work is something that the devil's able to use to cause Christians to debate over, which is really kind of silly. So we're going to come to the scriptures tonight humbly to see what they say about who and what the Holy Spirit is. Um, we searched the scriptures together last week to establish why we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity and why that matters. We learned that there's only one God, the eternal and all-powerful creator of the universe and everything in it. However, we learned that though God is one, he exists as three distinct persons. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. He exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each one is co-eternal, co-equal, and all-powerful. None is more or less God than the other. They exist in perfect harmony and unity and submission to each other. That's what we covered last week. And we can't really declare accurately who the Holy Spirit is. The reason I took us back there and reminded us of those things, we can't really declare accurately who the Holy Spirit is without first understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. Misunderstanding God's essence and Trinitarian nature often leads to errors in understanding who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. So we have to start with a robust understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. We talked about last week that that's a humbling doctrine, isn't it? Those of you that are here, we understand that there's a certain point when you talk about God being one and yet three persons where you've got two options, right? You can either doubt or you can worship. And I choose to worship because there are certain things about God's infinite nature that I do not understand. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's another reason why I worship Him. Mm -hmm. He's way bigger than me and I'm real happy about it. Anybody else in here? Am I by myself on that? I'm real glad He's bigger and deeper and smarter than me. Uh, that's the kind of God I want to worship. Amen. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 5, we'll begin our study time. Genuinely love the scriptures. They're a gift from God to us. We're going to start tonight with answering the question who or what is the Holy Spirit? Now, there are many errors surrounding this very important question. There are false uh, pseudo-Christian religions that claim that the Holy Spirit is only a force, and he's like electricity, and he's not a person, as the Bible teaches. And so we're going to see why that is not accurate. 
I'm in Acts chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 6. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why does Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. The great, and great fear came over all who heard him. The young men got up, covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. There's a couple things I want you to notice here. First of all, I want you to look at verse 4. What does it say there? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. The first thing I want you to see is the Holy Spirit is God. He's a part of the beautiful, all-powerful, mysterious Godhead. He's not simply a messenger like an angel. He's not just a force of nature like the wind. He is God, clearly. First, he's asked, why is it that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? It's clear the connection is made that that Holy Spirit, that these, these men believe that that's God, and that's what we believe as well, that's what the scriptures teach. Here's my question to you. In, in trying to deal with whether or not the Holy Spirit is, is just kind of a spiritual force, or even, some would say, a natural force, can you lie to electricity? Can you lie to wind? Would either one know if you did? Would they care? Would it bother them? Would they be affected by it? First of all, you can't. You can't lie to them. Secondly, they wouldn't know the difference. However, we don't see an impersonal force here in dealing with Ananias and this deception about the price of the property. Uh, clearly, Ananias lied to God by lying to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 tells us that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we disobey God and we violate each other. Our forces of nature grieve. Is an impersonal, spiritual force grieve? No. People are grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a part of the God. The Holy Spirit is God and he's grieved when we sin against each other and when we sin against God. These scriptures shine an ultra-bright spotlight on the erroneous nature of the belief that the Holy Spirit is only a force. Um, in trying to think of an example, it's kind of like this. And this, this may seem silly, but it's on purpose. It's kind of like you, you see somebody, say you walk up to somebody you know, and they've got like a big grin on their face. You know, like they just got away with something. You know what that grin is like, right? And, uh, and so let's say you ask them, hey, what, like, what, are you, what are you so happy about? And they, they go on to tell you, like they kind of get quiet, right? Because you can tell that they feel like they just pulled something off. So they do, they do the old hand of the, the mouth. They're like, well, here's the deal. Here's what I did. I told the electric outlet in my bathroom that it's my favorite one in the house. But then I went to my bedroom and I told the outlet under my nightstand that it was my favorite too. I think they both bought it. <laughs> yeah, we're laughing because that's dumb. Like my, my, my response would be like, okay, buddy, um, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call some men in, in, 
in white coats, and they're going to take you to a really fun place. <laughs> wait, can you just wait right here for a second? Okay, we're making this call. All right, here, here's some ice cream. Just sit here. Right? It, it's, it's nonsensical, right? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And you may feel like the, the line to the outlet story is getting off point, but it's not getting off point. I'm trying to show you how ridiculous it is to consider the Holy Spirit to be some impersonal force like electricity. He's not. You don't, you don't lie. And, and electricity doesn't know if you did. Right? The outlets don't care. <laughs> they can't hear you. They're not alive. They're not a person. Right? The Holy Spirit is God. We believe the answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit, very simply is, he is God. If you want to, you want to summarize and boil it all down, what is our answer? What do we believe? Someone has to say, who is the Holy Spirit? Some people will say, what is the Holy Spirit? The only reason I include that is because that is the way some people will phrase it. That is not the way I would ask the question. Because the Holy Spirit is not a what, he's a who. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. It matters which W word you use. The Holy Spirit is God. No less, no more than God the Father and God the Son. Okay? Now, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Just be a few pages over now, before we answer the question of what the Holy Spirit does, see, we've, we've dealt now with who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. It's part of the Godhead. Now we're going to deal with what it is that He does. What does the Holy Spirit do? But before we answer that question, we want to look at the context of His coming. Um, let me read for you the words of Jesus from John 14. As you're turning to Acts 1, I'm going to read from you, for you the words of Jesus from John 14 as He promises us Holy Spirit. These, these are the words of Jesus, John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. These are the words of Christ as he looks forward promising the gift of the Holy Spirit to us as people. And this verse is one of the reasons that we don't believe when the Bible says that a wife can be a helper to her husband, that it's demeaning or demoralizing in the least. Because apparently we've misunderstood what it is to be a helper. The simple fact that God has taken that title for himself as well. And so I'm not sure when we decided that that was a bad thing, but if God is willing to call himself a helper... Ladies, I'd be honored to be among the titles that God uses for himself mm-hmm. to be included in that. I'll, I'd be happy to be on that team. And so, clearly that tells us there's something messed up in the way we think about the term help. Mm-hmm. Somehow we've decided it's something lesser. God is willing to be our helper through the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. And so, I'm honored to be a, a part of anything that he's doing. Let's read Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 8. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive, after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now we see in Acts 2, the very next chapter, which I'd encourage you to read later, that the promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. Jesus, follow me in this, Jesus was God with us, right? His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. What we needed ultimately was God in us. And that is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus paved the way for that to happen, didn't he? Jesus made it possible through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his triumphant resurrection that we can put faith in his finished work, that we can repent of sin, that we can be forgiven. And the Bible tells us that our heart of stone is regenerated and transformed into a heart of flesh. God the Holy Spirit could not come and dwell in us when we were spiritually dark and dead. God the Holy Spirit couldn't come in us when... when all we had was darkness and death, but the light and the life of God cannot coexist with the death and darkness inside us. But Jesus made a way that God the Holy Spirit literally dwells in us. There's no more need for a temple made with hands, for God's presence to dwell in here on the earth. No longer do you need a temple with, you know, you look in the Old Testament, David got the instructions and Solomon got to build this temple where God's presence literally dwelt here on the earth. The ultimate plan was for Jesus to come to bridge the gap between God and man so that we could be the living temple of Almighty God. And what, what happens now is because we can be regenerated in our hearts, because we can be forgiven of sin, because the darkness in us can be replaced by the light and the life of Christ, God's Holy Spirit can live and dwell in us. We are the carriers of God's holy presence. And that's really good news. And that's really encouraging. It means a lot, has a lot of implications. That means when you go into where you work, when you go into where you go to school, when you go into that family situation that's awkward or difficult, you take with you the presence of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit of God comes with you. And so what does that mean? We should see things happening because of those implications, should we? Here, let me ask you another way. Does God have the power to change absolutely any situation? Yeah. Should situations change when God Almighty is in, is in the middle of it? Yeah. So if you, dear one, are the temple of God's holy presence, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, when you go into a situation, not because you're good looking or you've got all the right words, though many of you may be on both of those, maybe not many of you, some of you may be, right? Ooh, that was rough. Uh, some of you may have everything going on, but that's not what's going to change the situation. That's not what's going to bring hope into hopelessness. That's not what's going to chase darkness out and replace it with light. It's going to be the presence of the Almighty Christ. And that's in you, and we got to start knowing that when we're going into situations. I think some of us sit back, timid, with a lack of boldness, because we don't remember that God Almighty lives in us, that the Holy Spirit of God is in us. We should expect atmospheres and rooms to change when we walk in, not because of us, but because of Him. Amen. We should expect hopelessness to be chased out and be replaced with hope. We should expect 
people to be convicted of sin when we walk in because of God's presence in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first answer to what does the Holy Spirit do is that he comes and lives in us. And this is an incredible and a beautiful truth for which we should be incredibly grateful. This is only the beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Everything the Holy Spirit does in and for us is to equip us for the mission of declaring King Jesus and his gospel to the world. Can I say that one more time? This is important. Everything the Holy Spirit does in and for us is to equip us for the mission of declaring King Jesus and his gospel to the world. Everything? That's an all-inclusive statement. It's a pretty big one there, Pastor Minister. You want to say that? Yes, let's read Acts 1-8. I'm glad you're questioning That's good. I'm glad you're paying attention. You're totally plugged in, asking hard <laughs> questions. Keep pushing you like that. That's good. Amen. We read Acts 1-8 again. What is it? The ultimate goal of all it is that the Holy Spirit of God does. What is he about? Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you so that you can be witnesses of the goodness and the glorious nature of the change that has happened because of the gospel. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and to tell the good news of the gospel to as many people as possible, to introduce as many people as possible to our King Jesus. We are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the mission that God's given us. We are not going to be able to love God or love people or make disciples aside from the power of the Holy Spirit. We can try, we can strain, we can push, and all that we do will fail if we do not lean heavy and rely on power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It is by God's power that anything that we will do that's going to bring glory to Christ is going to happen. We must understand this. It's not by our power. It's not, and that's, this should alleviate some pressure from us. I, I don't want you to feel like, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to do all the work. I don't need to do anything. That's not what I'm saying. However, we don't have to sit around and, and, and you know, have brainstorming sessions and come up with some great new gimmick to get people to come to church. That's not what this is about. We want people to come and meet Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit will do the marketing. Amen. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you start living in such love and unity with your family, those around you, when you start being, uh, when bitterness is driven all the way out of your life, man, and you're, you're that person that for some reason, every time they see you, you've got joy, even in the midst of craziness, even in the midst of difficulty. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit, not to despair, but to have hope. As you begin to live like that, you're not going to have to have some super slick gimmick. People are going to be curious about what, what, what kind of, how are you living? How are you doing? What it is you do? Why do you react the way you do to situations? Why do you have so much joy? Why is it that even when I'm mean to you, you're loving to me? That's weird. Nobody else does that. Why do you do that? And then we get to tell them. It's because of King Jesus who lives in me. Holy Spirit of God empowers me to do that. It's because the gospel has changed my perspective on everything. Amen. Right? Mm -hmm. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit doesn't work. Now, there are many people, ministries, and preachers that claim to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some are. Some are. Mm -hmm. I hope that we are. 
Some are simply misled about the goal and focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Sometimes a bunch of auxiliary things that don't matter as much can become a higher focus than exalting Jesus and his gospel, and, and that's a mistake. That's an error. So some are simply misled. Some are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are false prophets. There are charlatans who are intentionally exploiting people's hunger for God's presence, for miracles, and for the supernatural for their own gain. There are people who have realized that you can, you can use what people perceive to be the power of the Holy Spirit for your own personal gain, and Jesus will deal with people like that very severely. And if you're trying to determine if something is truly the work of the Holy Spirit, or if it's some other spirit, we must always ask this question. Who's being exalted here? If you... If you find yourself in a situation and you're not sure if what's going on is really the work of God's Holy Spirit, ask the question, who is being exalted here? Not simply that the name of Jesus is mentioned, but is what's going on pointing to, exalting, lifting high, and declaring King Jesus in his gospel to be of the utmost and highest importance? I don't mean that Jesus gets lip service and that it's on to whatever all this other stuff is that we say is the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. Is, is what is going on and being claimed to be the power of God pointing to Christ, pointing to his gospel, always, always, always the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. Everyone okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Good. As the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the believer, he gets to work immediately helping us, sanctifying us, and gifting us for the privileged task of living out and sharing the good news of the gospel. And I've said gospel a few times now, and since I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit's work centers around and is all about promoting the good news of the gospel, which King Jesus is the crown jewel of that good news and that gospel message, let me make it clear what I mean when I say gospel. We all, here at Love City, we always start with the bad news. The gospel consists of both good news and bad news. And the good news doesn't make very much sense if you don't have the boldness to talk about the bad news. The reality is that God created everything perfect in the beginning. But the mankind chose to rebel and sin against God. From that point on, all of us, all of us, have fallen. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect. And this is important because in our day and age, many people are deceived and they think what is going to determine whether or not they are in relationship with God is how many good things they do versus how many bad things they do. This is a false gospel that has somehow perpetuated itself through the decades and through the centuries. It has nothing to do with that. Because none of us in and of ourselves can work ourselves out of the trouble we're in. What is required for relationship with the God who made us is perfection. Is this bad news for anybody? If you didn't know the rest of the story, is anybody else in trouble yet? I'm in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. If what it takes to be in relationship with God the Father is perfection, I've blown it by a long shot. Maybe some of you are closer to the line than me. I don't know. I know how much trouble I'm in if that's the case. But here's the view. Jesus came and he did everything that was required of me. He, he lived a perfect life. And then he died the death that I should have died, paying the price that I could have never paid. And not only did he do that, not only did he hang on that cross, Paying with his blood the price it would take for me to be reconciled to God. But three days later, he rose trying to flee from the grave. 
which totally validated everything he said about himself. We just read there in Acts, where it's talking about, in Acts 1, that it wasn't like Jesus came out of the tomb, you know, waved to a couple people and flew up to the clouds, right? He was around for a while. It said he showed many convincing proofs that it was indeed him, resurrected bodily. The power of God had raised him from the dead, right? And so that is the good news, and that, that gospel message is what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to share. It's the crown jewel. It is the point. All of ministry that we do, everything that we do, whether it's worship or it's discipling kids in kids' class or it's me preaching or it's us going out and doing evangelism, all of it is to get the good news of that message that you do not have to be hopeless and you do not have to work your way back to God because you can't, and that you can trust in the finished work of Christ, that he's made a way, that you can be reconciled to God. Your sins can be forgiven. You need not be hopeless. You need not live in darkness. It's a beautiful message, the best message that could be told, and we get to be a part of sharing it. We're empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 tells us that the Spirit gives us gifts as He wills. That's another proof that He's a person. He has a will, right? Electricity has no will. Wind has no will. It's just the result of atmospheric pressures fluctuating. Holy Spirit has a will and he gives gifts to us, the children of God. The Bible says, as he wills. These gifts are, the Bible says that these gifts are for the common good and they're for equipping us to be missionaries in whatever cultural context we find in God's places. Here's the thing. I, I tell you guys all the time that we, we are all missionaries. And I don't know if it's, it's one of those things that maybe you hear it too much. And you're kind of like, okay, I'm a missionary. What can you do? Here's the thing. You are, I don't understand if you know this. You are no less a missionary than the person who is called by God to sell everything they have, go to Papua New Guinea, and reach some culture and some tribe that has never heard the gospel. You are no less a missionary than that person. God appoints the times and places where he brings us into existence, where he leads us to go. And so wherever it is you're working, the family situation that you're in, the school that you go to, the situations you find yourself in, the street you live on, it took me months to find the house that Natalie and I live in. And it was frustrating. And it, it, it seemed like at times I was missing God. I was putting offers in on houses and they were falling through for ridiculous reasons. And I finally got to the point where I said to trust the Lord and say, okay, God, apparently there's somewhere that you want to put me. And I can't tell you how many times it has been made so clear to me that God specifically stuck us in the house, on the street, that he did because there was people on that street that needed to hear the gospel. You need to understand the intentionality and the sovereignty of God and quit thinking that where you are is just a product of chance. God knows where you're at and he's empowered you by the Holy Spirit to be a missionary into that sphere of influence. You don't have to be smarter than everybody in the room. You don't have to have a personality that is the most bubbly that's going to attract you. You don't have to be all this stereotypical stuff. All you have to do is trust and believe in God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and then he'll equip you with the words to say, and he'll equip you with the love that it's going to take to lay down yourself, be willing to inconvenience yourself, to share the gospel with somebody else, to live out the gospel first in front of someone else, which will open the door of their heart to then speak the gospel to them. It is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered to be missionaries wherever we are. You live where you live on purpose. Maybe you didn't know it was on purpose, but it's on purpose. You work where you work 
on purpose. God is in it, in the midst of it, and he's doing something with it, and he wants you to care about it. He wants to empower you by his spirit to be a missionary to that place. You go to school where you go to school on purpose. Your family, those of you that are like, that's the last people I want to try to do anything with, or two, or four, you're a missionary to them. But it's so hard because it's my family. I don't, I, I don't know how to talk to them. I got great news for you. The Holy Spirit does. He knows exactly, he knows the deepest part of their heart. And, and he's gifted us in you. The Holy Spirit can speak to you in a way that will pierce through all the facades and all the masks that people put up and get straight down to the heart. Amen. I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Experience it. I've been in conversation with people where they're just throwing all these red herrings, trying to keep the conversation everywhere but Jesus, and they keep trying to throw me off. And, and I've had God speak to me something that I had no prior knowledge of, and I'll just say it to them, boom, out of obedience to God, and you can just see the whole the whole parade that they were trying to put on shut down. And all of a sudden, everyone in the room realizes God's involved here. Let's get humble and hear what he's got to say. We'll do that for you. I'm not special because I'm called to communicate God's word and to be a teacher of the Bible. That doesn't make me special. I'm not more called to be a missionary than you are. All of us are called by God to share this beautiful gospel. Amen. Every single one of us. And you're gifted to do so differently. That's so, that's so beautiful. There's such a range of gifts represented in this room. And God can use all of them, put them all together so that we can accomplish the mission of these calls. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. If everybody in here was gifted like me, right now, We'd have, you know, 90 people standing up trying to preach over top of each other. It'd be chaos. We have different giftings and God's using them all. It's incredible. It's beautiful. We do, here at Love City, we believe the gifts of the Spirit are in full operation today. If you don't feel like you've been given any spiritual gifts, it's a really good sign that your life is too comfortable. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're a Christian, if you put faith in Christ for salvation, you don't feel like you've been given any spiritual gifts, you've not seen them manifest, you've got no idea what it is God's put in you for his purposes, it's a really good sign that your life might be too common. If you were able to coast through most of your days without relying on the Holy Spirit, on his power and his help, you are probably not living on gospel-centered mission. I don't say that to bruise you or to beat you down. I say that because I love you, because here's what I'm convinced of. To, to do what it is that God put you on this planet to do, to do what it is that God made you for, he has a purpose for your life, a plan to do what it is that he's gifted you to do, that is the place where you'll find the most joy. We see it in so many other ways and places and people We try to find long-lasting joy and significance. The deepest well, the well of joy and, and purpose and and just the incredible potential of being plugged in exactly what it is that God has called you to do, that is, that is what I want for you because I love you. So that's why I'm challenging you. If you don't feel like God has gifted you, if you've not seen the gifts that God's put in you begin to come out, you're probably not in situations very often where you need the Holy Spirit. You've insulated your life in such a way that you can pretty much do it on your own. Step out there. I encourage you, get in a spot where you have to have God's help. Mm. You're welcome. I'm going to read you a list now of uh, some of the other things that the Holy Spirit does. 
There are more. But I'm going to read you a list. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides us into all truth. He regenerates us. He glorifies and testifies of Christ. He leads us. He sanctifies us. He empowers us. He fills us. He teaches us to pray. Have you ever been in a situation so tough you didn't know what to pray anymore? And there's sometimes I don't know what else to say. There's sometimes when I've, I've cried all the tears I've got. There's sometimes when the situation is so desperate, I just, I just literally, I need God to pray through me and for me. The Holy Spirit will do that. He does that for us. And I'm glad. Because I don't have it all figured out. I don't. He does. He bears witness in us that we are children of God. He anoints us for ministry. He distributes spiritual gifts. He brings unity and oneness to the body. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. He reveals the deep things of God to us. He reveals what has been given to us from God. He speaks to, in, and through us. There are several scriptures that will teach you that. 1 Corinthians 12, um, 3, 1 Timothy 4, 1, Revelation 2, 11, Hebrews 3, 7, Matthew 10, 20, on and on and on. There are, one of the promises of God about His Holy Spirit is that when He lives in us, He will give us the words to say in the right moment. That is the fear that paralyzes so many of you. That week after week, I can call you to mission. That week after week, I can try to figure out new and creative ways to convince you you're a missionary in your sphere of influence, and yet, time and again, you'll walk away. And you I, I know, it's not that you're rebellious. You don't want to do what it is God's called you to do. I know that you guys love Jesus, and I know that you love people, and you want them to know the hope of the gospel. I don't believe that it's a lack of caring. I think oftentimes what comes right behind that message, and you're motivated to share the gospel, is a paralyzing fear about your own inadequacies. All the time, right behind it comes all the reminders about what you're not good at. Mm-hmm. How you don't know enough scriptures, or you haven't studied enough, or whatever, la da 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 the lie is. You need to understand that God's willing to use you where you're at, and He will speak for you. You need to be willing to stretch, put yourself in a situation where God does have to speak through you. Mm-hmm. How many times do we step away and back away and really it comes down to a trust issue? Do you trust that God will do what he said he will do? Is, does God have the right words? Let's start there. Are we all convinced of that? Does God know what to say in any conversation? He's always God, right? He's infinite, all-knowing, omnipotent. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. There's nothing he doesn't know. Even to the depths of every human heart. There's nobody you can encounter that can hide their true motives, feelings, desires, and thoughts from God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. He understands and he knows. And he can empower you to skip all the stuff they're going to try to throw, all the smoke screens they're going to try to throw up. To try to get the conversation somewhere or other than what's in their heart. And whether or not they're submitted to Christ. God the Holy Spirit will give you the right words. He'll speak in us and through us and he'll teach us. He is the agent by which we are baptized in the body of Christ. He transforms us into the image of Christ. My prayer often is that every, every day, when I wake up tomorrow, I want to think, speak, and see people a little more like Jesus than I didn't think. We're not talking the anatomically image of Christ. I, mean, I know most of you have seen a movie or something, you know, 
Jesus with his long flowing hair with product in it. You know, he's got pretty good chiseled features. Like, I don't know where we got all that from. The reality is Jesus is a carpenter, right? has short hair. Because if you've been working outside this summer, you understand. Long hair is a bummer. Okay, you ladies that are able to power through it, I got a lot of respect for you, okay? This bump for you. That's tough. Long hair is a bummer. So as Jesus is working in the, you know, sweltering uh, heat there in, in the Middle East, he probably had short hair. So sorry to you know, ruin all your childhood fantasies there about the appearance of Jesus. But that scripture is definitely about the Holy Spirit, you know, getting us all to wear robes and grow our hair long, get the beard just right. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that we would, our minds would be more like King Jesus, that we would be humble like he was, that we would, that we would be stirred with compassion anytime we encounter need. Do you notice that? Have you read the Gospels? Do you, do you see when Jesus is encountered with need, it, is impi- it seems impossible for him to walk by and not care. I want to be more like that tomorrow than I am today. I'm tired of being so about me and my schedule and my convenience. I want to be to the point where I, I can't pass by somebody in need without being grieved in my heart. I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. I want to see people like he does. I don't want to judge people like I'm so prone to do. So often I see people through the lenses of my own preconceived notions. I want to see people like Jesus does. I want to love them like he does. I want to be more like him. And the Holy Spirit is doing that work in me. And I'm grateful for it. He gives us access to God the Father. He enables us to obey the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He gives us joy. He casts out demons. John 14, 26 that says, and I, I need this one. My God in heaven. He brings things to our remembrance. How many of you need help with that? Not just scriptures, man. I'm claiming that in all areas of life. You think you know somebody that can be absent-minded? This brother right here. It's hard, man. I got so much going on, so many irons in the fire. I'm juggling a lot of stuff. I am so prone to forget, but I can't tell you how many times, out of the blue, nowhere, I'm not even thinking about it, I know God reminds me of something that I forgot. Call this person, you know, write this down, do this over here. I'm really thankful for that. Not only does he do that, but he does remind me of scriptures. He reminds me of things that I've learned about him that I've long forgotten in my conscious mind that I even knew. Have any of you been in a situation where you're talking to somebody or you're praying for somebody or you're in a conversation and out of you comes this scripture or this piece of truth that you like totally forgot you knew? Yeah. Okay, some of you are shaking your head, yes, that's awesome. The rest of you, let's, again, life must be too comfortable. I want you in spots where God's Holy Spirit has to remind you of stuff. I want you in spots where you're going to have to rely on His power to get through. Because it's, it's beautiful for everybody in the situation. Not only is the person being ministered by and through you, that, that person is getting ministered to, that's incredible. They see God move and act and be alive on their behalf. But you're there too. Like, you know that God just worked for you. And there's literally nothing cooler. I've done a lot of cool stuff, a lot of thrill-seeking stuff in my life, a lot of adrenaline pumping, yeah, rah-rah. I promise you, there is nothing more exhilarating, nothing, than knowing that God's Holy Spirit took over and used you to affect somebody's eternity. Somebody's eternity, man. Does that do something? Does that bring something? Does that excite you to think that God would use you to affect someone else's eternity? I'm happy to simply be the scalpel in the hand of the surgeon. That's all I am, and I know it. 
but I'm happy just to be in the game. I'm happy just to be involved with what God is doing in the hearts of people, with what God is doing in the spirit and in the the eternity of those that he loves. Thank you. He comforts us. God, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. There's a lot of times I need that. There's a lot of times when nobody's going to know what to say. But he does. There's nothing else to say. And sometimes it's not even the Lord says something. He just, just his presence comforts him. It's the fact that he's there, and I know he won't leave me. He's our comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is living. Um, the Holy Spirit is a source of freedom. He's a chain breaker. He lifts the yokes, uh, the things that so easily ensnare us. He, he helps to liberate us from our sins. Um, I think that's the main thrust of the scripture that we're talking about here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but turn with me to Romans 14 because in discussing the fact that uh, where the Holy Spirit is, there is liberty. We're going to take an opportunity here to, uh, to talk about liberty. It's kind of a hot button word. Um, it's going to open up a conversation that we need to have as a church. Uh, as we're going through this series on doctrine, we need to talk about this. Um, Romans 14, so-called Christian liberties are a very big issue in our day. It's something that I believe we must seek God's wisdom about. uh, Because opinions on the matter are many, and they are fierce. uh, But you know what they say about opinions, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to see what the Spirit of God has to say to us through the Scriptures which are inspired and perfect God's holy word to us. Romans 14. I'm going to read this whole chapter. And I'm going to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit right now to navigate this minefield of an issue. Because there's probably uh, many opinions and some fears even in this room. Uh, I'm just asking you right now. Let's humbly go to the Scriptures. Let the Scriptures inform us. Do our best to strip ourselves of preconceptions and potential misconceptions. Let's see what the Word of the Lord would have to say to us on this issue. Okay? Romans 14, verse 1, reading the whole thing. Ready? Let's go. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard the contempt of the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself. This is good right here. You checked out a second ago because that language was kind of circular come back because this is good verse 7 for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself for if we live we live for the Lord or if we die we die for the Lord therefore whether we live or die we are the Lord's for to this end Christ died and lived again he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living 
But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with food. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, there's a lot going on there. We're seeing a lot about... Um, a lot of the focus being on, on food here. Uh, there's other places where food sacrifice to idols is discussed. Here we're talking about um, you know, even some people being convicted about eating meat in general. Um, I will say this. Uh, there are some of you even here that are vegetarians. And though uh, sometimes you're an easy target for jokes, I, I do honestly, honestly, God, I need to say, I really respect your discipline. Because that's not easy. You have to make choices about what you eat. You have to think ahead. And um, I really respect the fact that for whatever reason you're doing it, that you're just simply discipline is a rare thing in this day. And so I respect those of you that do that. Um, I don't. I eat a lot of meat. So. But you can't not respect me. Did you hear what Romans 14 said? You're going to love this meat eater. T-Rex. All right. So um, I don't think a major issue so much for us in this day is eating, definitely meat sacrifice to idols, not a big deal. I don't think most of you are sacrificing virgin goats to Baal and then trying to get all your friends to come eat it, right? Am I on point there? That's right. If we are having that issue, please come talk to me afterwards. We'll solve that. Um, I, I think we, we only see wine mentioned once here, but I think for us, one of the hot up issues in our day is alcohol, and that's something that I think we need to deal with as a church. We need to talk about it. What do the scriptures have to say about it? And how is it that we should deal with it? So, is it a sin for a Christian to drink alcohol? Many people want a yes or no answer. Some want a yes so they can go down to happy hour and get a margarita so big that they can climb in it and drink themselves out of it, right? I mean, so that's, some are like, is it yes or no? Is it yes or no? What's the Bible say? Like, can I drink? Can, 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 their keys are already in their hand. They know, right? They know which Mexican restaurant has the biggest margaritas. Right? And so they're ready to go. They're just hoping that they get a yes from somebody with some spiritual authority. So some people are looking for a yes. Some people are, they're looking for a no 
It's because they want to go pick at all the bars with signs and you know declare that this is a gateway to hell, right? And you know, try to throw stuff on people that come out. So some people want to yes, some people want to no. Um, the problem is that it's not a yes or no answer. The answer is it depends. It depends on a lot. There's a lot to consider here. And so this will not be an exhaustive uh, dealing with this issue. Uh, I'm sure it will come up again. If you have more specific questions, feel free to see me. We're going to deal with as many of these issues as we can in the time we have a lot. Okay? So let's just go through this. I think uh, Romans 14 is, I really believe, is a good, concise place for us to find guiding principles on this. There is much more the scriptures have to say on this subject of liberties in general and even alcohol specifically. Um, but let's go ahead and take this piece by piece. First of all, when it comes to alcohol, drunkenness is never okay. Okay? So, the physical margarita that you can get in, okay, if your alcohol tolerance is that high, we already have a problem. Okay? <laughs> Unless you have some type of super liver, you know, we need to get you tested and figure out how we can reproduce that. Um, that's not a good idea. Drunkenness is never okay. All through the scriptures, there's many, many places, warnings against drunkenness, direct commands against drunkenness, but this begs the question, doesn't it? And this is where the slope gets ever so slippery. What is drunk? Right? Fair question. Some of you are asking me for good reasons. Some of you, because you're in sin. Okay? Let's deal with what is drunk. What does that mean? Does that mean I carry a breathalyzer around all the time and I use the government's legal driving limit as drunk? Is that drunk? How do I figure out what drunk is? It's a hard question, isn't it? Here's the thing. Sober is what you are all the time, yes? yes? No drinks, no drugs, no anything in you, you're sober. It's the way you act, the way you speak, the way you conduct yourself all the time. So drunk denotes a change in the way you be from when you're sober, okay? So this is not Merriam-Webster, and I'm not even sure uh, you know, AA would condone this definition, but I believe it's pretty common sense that if you're different in any way that you would be under sober conditions, there's been a change. I would say you're drunk. If you're laughing at things you wouldn't normally laugh at, if you're saying things you wouldn't normally say, if you're doing things you wouldn't normally do, um, something's been altered. You're not sober, so what are you? Lots of people aren't liking that. We don't even, here, and here's the problem. Here's the problem with you not liking that. Here's the problem if you're sitting there like, no, no, no. Okay, here's, why are we looking for the line anyways? Why are we like, well, how close can I, where is, I want to get right up to the edge of that thing. That's what right. are we looking for? That's good. Is that counterfeit peace for you? Is that counterfeit joy? What, are we getting the things the Holy Spirit's supposed to be providing from a bottle or a glass? Why would you fight so hard for a more liberal view of what drunk is? Yep, this is fun. <laughs> Drunkenness is never okay. Ever, ever, ever. The scriptures are clear about that. If you are getting drunk, you are in sin. I don't care. I've heard some people say, well, if you're by yourself, what does it hurt? I don't care. The Bible doesn't say, don't get drunk, unless you're by yourself. The Bible says, don't get drunk. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with God's spirit. You will think things and you will do things under the influence of alcohol and being drunk that you will not know. Mm -hmm. it, it's not helpful. And there's a reason why. Remember, we have to remember, because this, this is where it comes in. 
we get this messed up conception of God that he's the fun police, right? And so he's just trying to wreck our good time. Why is it that God doesn't want us to get drunk? I don't know all the reasons. There's many things that I can think of that, that would be reasons why a good father wouldn't want his children to be drunk. However, bottom line, if I can't think of any good reason, I still have to trust that if he's asking not to do something, it's for my good. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason God asks me not to do something. Or he asks me to do something is that it's for my good, for his glory. Okay? Amen. If you're not convinced that you need more scripture references on drunkenness being a sin, come and see me. I'll lovingly help. Okay? More considerations on Christian liberties. If something is illegal, it's not an option. That's not a Christian liberty. It's nowhere in the rubric, Okay? The Bible is clear we should obey the laws of the land, right? So here's the issue. Let's just, let's just be open and honest. What's the first thing that comes to your mind in thinking of this issue? There are states in this country legalizing marijuana, okay? Now, I'm really concerned if you want to pull up your tent pegs and move to that state because that <laughs> marijuana is legal there. Already I'm concerned. What are we hoping marijuana is going to do that we're not believing God can do for us? Amen. What is it? Are you trying to alleviate pain in your body? I mean, that's legitimate. God is a healer. You're looking for peace somewhere? You're looking for solace? You're looking for relaxation? Spend time in God's presence. I'm telling you, it's better than any joint. I've had both. Okay? Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. If something's illegal, it's not an option. So whether it's a drug, whatever it is, if it's illegal, not even on the buffet of potential Christian <laughs> liberty. So then you got to deal with Okay, well, what if Ohio legalizes marijuana? Well, we're going to be in the same spot we are with alcohol then with that. We're going to have to be led by conscience. Um, I would definitely err to the side of caution. If you're, like, super geeked up and you're out there, like, passing out pamphlets, hoping Ohio makes marijuana legal, I want to to know what's driving you. What is the motive there? Why are we so excited about it? That would be my concern. That would be my question for you. Um, I know God made it, and it's an herb, and it grows out of it. I know all of your arguments. Yes, yes, yes. But what is it providing? That's right. That you're not getting from God's Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes it can be a counterfeit. I believe there are some potential medical benefits that would even be better than certain narcotics. I'm not ignorant, and I'm not trying to be fundamentalist. What is it you're getting from that? And is it not something God's already promised through His presence and through His Holy Spirit? Okay. Other questions that should be asked whenever a Christian liberty issue is being worked through. Is it fruitful? Is it fruitful for me? Is it fruitful for others? Is it in any way contributing to the mission of God? Is it fruitful? Okay. Uh, other things to consider. There are many more. Like I said, this will not be exhausted. Issues of addiction. Some of you should never even touch or be around alcohol or any other addictive substance because for you it would be a sin. Mm-hmm. However, the Bible does not allow you to apply that restriction to everyone else. However, everyone should be careful about that. So let's make this practical, okay? There are some people, whether it's you know genetic or just the fact that they've had experience in their own life, if there are certain substances they're around, like alcohol or whatever, there is there is a serious potential for addictive and compulsive behavior surrounding that substance. Here's the thing. You're, you know, you may be somebody that uh, keeps a bottle of wine in the house for a nice dinner, and, and, and you and your wife or whoever, you have a glass of that when you eat. We cannot, from the scriptures, I'm telling you, and some of you aren't going to like that I'm going to say this, 
I know I'm getting on you drunkards real bad, but I'm going to get on you legalists too. We cannot, from the scriptures, defend a prohibitive standpoint 100% on alcohol. Let me help you with something. King Jesus, who you worship, made, gave, and drank wine. And it was fermented. Okay? I don't know where we try to dig into the Greek to come up with this idea that the wine Jesus made wasn't fermented. Just look at the context with me. For just, let's just think about it for a second. Wedding feast of Canaan, right? What does what the guy say to Jesus about the wine? Wow, Jesus. Most people save the not-so-good wine for last, but you save the best for last. Why would people save the not-so-good wine for last? Because it's all grape juice? No, because once you're drunk, you can drink anything and it's all going to taste wonderful. Yes? The context totally cuts the legs out from underneath. But here's the thing. That is not a free license to go get your fish bowl margarita and just do whatever the heck you want. Because we still have to deal with Romans. We still have to deal with our own. There's a lot to consider here before we just indulge in Christian liberty. Okay? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. The Bible doesn't allow for us to apply restrictions that we need to apply to our own lives to others. There are some of you, from the sound of my voice, that you should never, ever touch alcohol because you know you have a compulsion. Some of you have medical situations where when you drink, you get screwed up faster and worse than other people. It's not worth it. Some of you know if you smell a beer, you're drinking six. You just know. You know yourself. You've, done, you've been through it enough times that you should know. For you, it probably is a sin to touch it at all. But you cannot then lay that blanket over top of everyone else because there are people who can drink a half a glass of wine and put it away and not think about it for the rest of the month. Some of you are quick to say, oh, yeah, that's me. Only you and the Holy Ghost really know. And this is something you really need God's help discernment about, and it's, it's serious. It's a hot-button issue for our day. There are a lot of people misusing and abusing Christian liberties, flying the flag, saying, I'm free in Christ, and really, you're flying your shackles in the air because you're really chained to the thing. That's okay? So not only, if, if you should not touch alcohol, you cannot judge somebody that does as if they are unholy or, or whatever. However, if you are somebody, I started my example and then I got distracted. So if you're having someone over to your house and your intention normally a nice dinner, you would you would offer somebody wine. I think you should ask them before they get there. Do you do you drink alcohol? Is it something that would offend you, cause you to stumble, it's an issue for you? We don't care at all. We love you way more than we do this glass of wine. And so if that's something that would be an issue for you anyways, we'll, we'll have milk or orange juice or whatever the other options are in the fridge. Because we care very little about that and, and a whole lot about you. I think you should ask. I think you should care about it. And make sure, because you don't know. Don't assume. You don't know everybody's past. Right. Now, if it's somebody that you do know very well, you, you've had the conversation with already, you understand you both do not have compulsive, addictive behavior, you know you're not going to abuse it, two Christians are... And enjoy a glass of wine or a beer. We cannot prohibit that from the scriptures. However, we do have to consider all of these other things as well. There are many things to think about, more than just red light, green light. Right? Is it a yes or no? <laughs> it, 
depends. It depends on a lot. Okay? Uh, health issues, we kind of touched on that. I mean, some, some people just, for, for health issues, you just shouldn't touch it. You shouldn't, shouldn't be involved in it. Um, some of you are going to consider that, some of you are going to decide that there is so much to consider when it comes to this. I mean, that's, that's not an exhaustive conversation we just had on all the things that should be considered when it comes to Christian liberties. However, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? Where is drunk? What is drunk? Am I causing anyone to stumble? Is that even a potential? There's a lot to think about there. There's, why am I doing this? Is it fruitful? There's a lot to think about. Some of you, because of that, because it's so much to think about, you'll just decide that it's not worth it. You are wise. Some of you will partake in good conscience, and you will prefer others, and you're not going to make a big deal about it. You are wise. This is what the scriptures have to say about it. There is liberty in Christ, but it can quickly become chains. Mm-hmm. We need God's help to understand the difference. I want to call special attention to verse 22 for a second. Romans 14, verse 22. I think this, I think this is one of those times when God was looking forward and really knew we were going to need help with something. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. That's the New American Standard Version. I can't remember if it's NIV. Some of you may have the version right in front of you. It'll say something more to the effect of what conviction you have, keep it to yourself. Mm. Somebody got a translation in the house that says something close to that? If you don't, that's fine. I promise you they're out there. This is a rare case where I think maybe that's a better rendering. Really, what it's talking about here is not that, you know, it's like a secret and you never tell anybody, but we need to be careful where and how we have these conversations and where and how we flaunt what it is we feel we have liberty with. Here is why this is especially problematic and something I think we need to pay attention to in this day and age. Some of you are way too free on social media throwing up pictures of all this stuff that you feel like is Christian liberty for you, whether it be alcohol or whatever else you feel like might fall underneath this rubric, I'm not trying to come down on you hard, and I'm looking at the floor on purpose, but here's the thing, man. You have no idea who could potentially be on the other end of that digital media that you're uploading onto the internet for only God knows who to see. You could easily be causing someone to stumble through that. And the Bible really talks severely about Jesus being upset when we cause people to stumble. Matthew 18 says something along these lines. It'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to cause one of God's children to stumble. I really want you to care about that because I love you desperately and I don't want millstones around your neck. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Be careful, man. You don't know who can be looking at your stuff. It could be somebody that goes through a damaging thought process because they think they know you, they know you're a Christian, they trust you, and they figure, well, if they do it, it's okay for me. But you didn't you posted that picture, whatever the heck it was, but you didn't do a 15-paragraph doctrinal summary on what they should be considering before they do that, right? Right. You're not there to help lead them through all the things they should think through. Do you struggle with addiction? Do you have potential health issues? Is this, do you have compulsive behavior? Is, there, is this something that can easily become changed for you? You're not doing all that. You're like, right. I'm free in Christ. Pictures. Right? It's a, it's a serious problem. That's right. 
a serious problem. And even, 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 I think just the, here's, classically people have one of two extremes, and all the time, always dealing with extremes, trying to deconstruct and find the, the, the happy medium in the middle. It's like, some people are, are like so rigid and severe about this, they try to take the scriptures and bend them to tell everybody that if alcohol touches their lips, you know, they may as well purchase a one-way ticket to hell, right? That's some people, that's the, like a super rigid fundamentalist attitude about it. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you got people who are like, the answer is yes. Free in Christ. Do what you want. Both are super damaging. People on this end that try to make the scriptures say what they don't, it makes us look dumb. People on the internet, they know, right? They know the Bible doesn't say nobody can ever drink alcohol and it's always a sin. If there's any scriptures that anybody out there knows that's a sinner, they know that, right? Because everyone's looking to justify themselves. They know Jesus drank wine. They're pumped about it. Over here on the other end, man, it's just all the time, anytime, whenever I want, not considering who's around. And it's just, you know, that's how I think this nonchalant attitude can get to the point where people are clearly crossing over the line of drunkenness and just kind of like, grace. Nope. That's not how that works. I don't know. I hope to God I've said that before. That's not how that works. I just keep doing the same thing. And God is graceful. He is, and thank God he's one suffering with us. And listen, I, I sin and struggle all the time, trip over the same things over and over, and God is long suffering. But if we think we're just going to keep jumping up to that line of being drunk and God's just not going to care about it, the scriptures are clear. That's an issue with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, you can ask the question from impure motives. Yeah, well, well what is drunk? How do I know? Let's, let's purify those motives and just say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay way the heck away from it. For some of you, that means don't touch it at all. For some of you, that means one and done. You know? I don't know. You, you, there is room for conscience to dictate these things. And we have to leave room for that. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take away what God clearly gives us here in Romans 14, which is the ability to, by the Holy Spirit, work through these things. This is something we work through with God. If you are sitting here upset with either end of this, if you're sitting there and you're upset with me because I did not declare to everyone that alcohol, every alcohol if beverage on the planet should be put in a pile and burned. If you're upset with me for that, you're, you didn't read with me Romans 14. If you're on the other end and you're upset and you're acting like I'm too uptight about it, and what's the big deal? You didn't read Romans 14 with me. There's a lot of things we got to care about. And this isn't the only set of scriptures on the subject. We had to deal with it. It's a big issue in this day. You may not be plugged into what it is that causes commotion among Christ's body. I try to be. This is an issue. This is a thing that people want to know. And so partially this is for us here to know where it is we stand. We're just trying to stand where the scriptures stand on. Okay? Good. Amen. Do you understand what I'm talking about with verse 22? Let the conviction that you have be between you and God. Mm-hmm. The social media thing's an issue. I love you, but it's an issue. I mean, 
if social media didn't exist, it'd be different. It'd be different. Like to, to get the same effect, you'd have to get a shirt printed that says, "I drink lots of beer all the time." And, like just wear that around. But that's sometimes what we do with what we decide to post on social media. You didn't actually imagine someone with a shirt that said, I drink lots of beer all the time, did you? Because if you did, you'd be laughing, because it's funny. <laughs> Thank you for the courtesy laugh. It's, that's all it was. We'll move on. I don't know. You're swimming in conviction juice, so that's okay. I won't expect you to laugh until next time. Um, in these matters, in all matters that come down to conscience, right? In all, alcohol is not the only issue. Um, you know, Others would consider like, like smoking to be in the same realm. Here's the thing, you know, a lot of people, a lot of you grew up, especially some of the older saints, like someone had a cigarette in their mouth, it, I mean, it might have, might as well have been the devil's pitchfork. You know, it was done. They're, I can't believe it. Now, um, do I think that smoking a cigarette is going to send you directly to hell? No, absolutely not. But, but clearly, there's issues that need to be considered there. If I'm addicted. I'm addicted to a substance like nicotine. I have another master. That's an issue. Jesus is my master, right? So this this is a this is an outward sin. It's easy to peg. It's easy to throw rocks at. And so sometimes you can make yourself feel better. Like, well, I don't smoke. And, and so kind of ridicule the smoker. I I, I prefer that we, we pray for him and ask God's Holy Spirit to break that chain of bondage. Because most Christians that do smoke don't. Some are super nonchalant about it, and they don't care, and they'll deny that they're addicted. I can put it down any time. You might guess, right? Some could, some couldn't. And it's, it's not something to get condemned about. Some of we're all in process. We're all walking out a, a path of sanctification. So, you know what? Hallelujah. If you show up on smoking today, God loves you, and His grace is deep and wide, and He's long-suffering. Just know that the Holy Spirit's power is available now. When you get to the point that, that you want to accept it and walk with him on it. Bottom line is, in all these matters that relate to conscience, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to inform us. To inform and, if needed, reform our conscience so that our thoughts and will are conformed to be like King Jesus. You may wonder, what is, what is all this stuff about Christian liberty doing in a sermon about the Holy Spirit? The thing we need most to get this stuff right is to be in tune with God's Holy Spirit. If we heard the voice of God with these things, if we submitted ourselves to His leading, if we let the Holy Spirit of God come form and reform and mold our conscience on these issues, we would misstep much less. Those of you who tend to be legalistic on the subject, you would be more graceful. Those of you who tend to be too lax on the subject, you would be more disciplined. What we need is the discernment that comes in being in tune with God's Holy Spirit, hearing His voice, being led by Him. That's what we need. That's why it applies. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give, or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.